begin by reading a story from Bill Hybels' book, um, Becoming a Contagious Christian. Uh, that's what we're here for. Uh, so last week we looked at character, the character we need to become a contagious Christian. This week we're looking at convictions, but I just want to start with a story. Um, Bill Hybels, who's an American preacher, evangelist, he was um, uh, he was having an out-of-state trip when he bumped into an old acquaintance. He was a man I knew to be a churchgoer. So to get our conversation going, I said to him, well, are you looking forward to Easter Sunday? As casually as I had asked the question, he replied, no, I'm not. As a matter of fact, I never go to church on Easter. You're kidding, I said. You don't go to church on Easter Sunday? You can get arrested for that. Ignoring my attempt at humour, he said with some intensity, I don't go to church on Easter because I can't stand to see all those onces. You know, the annuals. All the people who only come around once a year. They get themselves all dressed up to make their appearance and they mess everything up at my church, especially the parking lot. Who do these people think they're fooling? They're not fooling me and they're certainly not fooling God. This has bothered me so much over the years that I just quit going to church on Easter Sunday. I have no use for onces. Now, I'm going to trust that that's not our opinion if we're coming here this morning, that we don't see people um, in that way as barriers to our worship or barriers to us getting to God, um, but that actually, I'm going to assume today that we, we already believe that God has loved us and called us and he has sent us disciple makers. I'm going to assume that we, we actually love people and we love seeing people here, which is why we're at the course becoming a contagious Christian. Uh, and so I won't go into heaps of detail about our calling in scripture to make disciples. I think it's a well-rehearsed truth that we know. What we're going to go into today is the key things that we need to believe that will help us um, overcome some of our fears and doubts and unbelief uh, so that we can live in the freedom of being a Christian who wants to see people know Christ and not stumbling over our hearts and our unbelief. To begin though, I want you to turn uh, to the person next to, you, t- next to you and ask these, these two questions. Who evangelized you and how long did it take? Go. Swap over if you haven't swapped yet. (laughs) 
I'll, I'll get you to pause there. My, my assumption is it's probably a lot of people over a long period of time. The next question I want to ask is, what do we need to believe, or what do we actually need to believe to evangelize? So what are the core doctrines, what are the things we actually need to believe to be evangelists, to actually want to see people know, uh, know Jesus? So now talk to the person next to you. What do, we, what do we need to believe? Tell us the doctrines. Go. Now, I'm sure you all came up with really great answers. The reason why I asked the question is I just want I just want you guys to start think. The question was, what do we need to believe to evangelize? What what doctrines do we need to believe to actually go out and evangelize? The reason why I'm asking you to think about it first is just so that you're not getting this barrage of information, but you're actually thinking, oh, what do I actually need to believe? Because the topic for today is, you know, becoming contagious Christian, convictions. And the convictions that we need to believe to be a contagious Christian. Now, I've totally stolen these three points I'm going to make today from this book. They're things I already believe, but he just put it in a simple, clear way. And I just think Rico Tice, um, Honest Evangelism, he's done a great job. Um, it's a very simple read. I highly recommend anyone to, excuse me, to read. It won't take you long. Uh, and he says we need three things. Three things. Three convictions. God's sovereignty, God's power, and God's grace. Um, and I'm going to kind of open up each one, and then we'll have time for you to, I'll each on each one, I'm going to give you time to talk in pairs again, so that it's a bit more interactive and not just um, a monologue. So, let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, we thank you that first and foremost... You came after us. You saved us. You made yourself known to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for who you are, a great, big, beautiful, holy God. And Lord, I pray and ask that you would give us grace this morning. Would you help us to have influence in our friends' lives? Would you help us to have boldness and courage? Uh, Lord, I pray and ask that we would have the right beliefs but they wouldn't just be in our head, but they would go to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Alright, so the first conviction we need is that God is sovereign. Is that God is sovereign. That God's sovereignty is to guide us in evangelism, not our plans. So I want you to open up to Acts chapter 17, and we're going to look at Paul, he's preaching uh, to the Athenians, all these philosophers, he's moved by the idols in the city, he starts talking to people, and then they pull him up in the, in the Areopagus, and as he's preaching, he says in his address in verse 24 to 27, something very interesting. But you could skip over really easily, but it's a really powerful point for evangelism. So God is sovereign is the first truth. And here's what I want us to know about this truth. That God has put people in our life, there are no accidents. So let's look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by humans' hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So everyone we talk to is given life and breath by God. So everyone needs God, because without him, the next breath, they're not going to take it. Verse 26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth. And then, interestingly, look at this. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. It's really interesting, that that little sentence there, because you've got God's the creator, everyone needs him with every breath, And yet he's appointed and set boundaries and put people exactly where they should be. And Paul is saying this, that God has put them there, and then verse 27, that they would seek him. And I think we can make an inference from that passage that there are no accidents as to where people live. There are no accidents as to where you live. There are no accidents as to where I live and where I work and where I am. And God has put people in those places and allotted them and put them in those boundaries and put us in those same boundaries so that they would seek him. And he's put us there so that we would reach out to them. And so the first conviction we need to believe, I think if we're going to be contagious Christians, is that there are no accidents. That wherever you are, with whomever you're with, it's not an accident. God has ordained that moment to be. That it's actually an opportunity, not an accident. When you're on the train on the way to work, or when you're going for a walk, or whoever your neighbours are, or whoever's in your family, that they are all opportunities, sovereignly ordained by God, for us to reach out to them. You see, this makes evangelism both very hard and exciting, because you're always on. You're always on stage, because there's no accidents. So every moment of every day, there's actually opportunities, and there's people that God has put in your life and only in your life. Um, And, you know, it's exciting because everyone matters to God. We know from much of Scripture, many times, you think Luke 15, the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost sons, 
that God goes to great lengths. He cares about people. He wants people to be saved. And so every moment is an opportunity. Every place you go is not an accident. And every person you meet matters to God. Because they were made by Him. And He gives them every single breath that they've ever breathed. And so in God's sovereignty, He's put you in their life. And me in their life. And so then it kind of becomes a little bit tiresome, if, you're, if I'm honest, because I've been reading this book all week and catching trains all week, and that means there's lots of people on the train to talk to. And I've actually found it hard to write this talk because I've been so convicted by this that I've, I've actually just started talking to people. Um, and as a result, I'm sitting there going, I'm opposite this lady, Kelly, and she's got a West Point shirt on because I now live in Blacktown. And she doesn't know Christ necessarily. I don't know. I need to get to know her. And so I'm sitting there next to her and finding out her stories about cleaning the toilets in Level 4 in West Point. And that's her daily life is literally cleaning poo off walls because people just do crazy things in there. And, you know, and I'm just aware that in that moment I've got an opportunity to show her that that can have eternal significance. And I'm talking to her. And we didn't get a full way into conversation. We talked a little bit about church. But I felt like I, just having that sense of this is not an accident that I'm sitting across from Kelly. And then the other day I was really tired. I was coming home on the train and get to Strathfield. I literally was pulling out my laptop to start writing this talk. And then Brad comes over with his bike. He's like, oh, mate, can you look after this for me? We've got two teeth. Okay, we've got two teeth. I'm like, sure, man. And he goes to the toilet, comes back, and we start chatting. And he's grubby as. And I look at his hands, and they're like, they're bleeding. Um, he's got eczema all over his body. He starts showing me his eczema. He's got like, like literally skins going like that, skins going everywhere. But this is a God-ordained moment for me to have a conversation. And so I start talking to him. And it turns out Brad's got 14 kids. To the one woman, to the one woman, he's married, but he's got this horrible eczema condition. And, but he's a Catholic, but he goes to all these different churches. And, you know, and it just... Having this chance to just go, this is not an interruption, this is an opportunity, and it's sovereign, and God put him there. And But if you see the world differently, and you think that we've got to make opportunities, or that I don't know who I've got to reach out to, the simple thing is, it's whoever God's put in your place. And the beauty of that is that God has put you there, not Brendan. And so our church isn't reliant on Brendan getting around to evangelizing everyone, it's Noah and it's Emma and it's Jeff and Linda and Kit and uh, Julie because there's people that only you know. God's put them there for you. Uh, and so my question, and I want you to just talk to the person next to you, is who is it for you? Who are the people around you on the train or on the bus at work that God has placed there, allotted them and given them the breath so that you keep seeing them? Because every breath they take is from him, and verse 27, that they would seek him. So quickly, just jot down a few names, talk to the person next to you. Who is it for you? Go.
Okay, so how does this help you? How does this doctrine help you become a contagious Christian? Well, firstly, you see that there's God-ordained opportunities everywhere. It gives you confidence that God wants to use you and not Brendan. Sorry, Brendan. Um, and it means, and it means that God actually cares for these people uh, and wants them to seek Him. So it is God's sovereignty that guides us, not our plans. All we have to do is look around. But so say you've gone, okay, all right, I've got these people. I got Brad. I got Kelly. Um, but how do I see them converted? Because I, I, mean, I want to be a contagious Christian. You know, I want them to catch Christianity. How do I get them converted? That's our second truth that we need to believe and deep down believe is that it's God's power. So first doctrine, God's sovereignty. Second doctrine, God's power. And if you could please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. According to Rico Tice and the Australian evangelist John Chapman, this is the passage on evangelism in the Bible that everyone needs to know. I didn't know that, but after reading it, I agree. Very good. I've probably skipped over it many times in my life. I've read it many times, but haven't read it, read it. So I'm going to read it and I'm going to ask you some questions. You don't have to answer out loud because I always find it awkward answering out loud to kind of close any questions, so we won't do that. But here we go. So how do we see people converted? Uh, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. How easy it is to lose heart, isn't it? But we have rene- so how do we not lose heart in our evangelism efforts? Well, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So the God of the world is Satan, um, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, or for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone, 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 shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just when you think, who's at work in the work of evangelism? Who's at work in the work of evangelism? And there's two players here. Have a think. Just have a look over the verses. Who's at work in the work of evangelism? You don't need to answer it. Well, verse 5. We preach Christ. So our work is we preach Christ. And then verse 6. God opens blind eyes. So there's two players, us and God. There's two jobs. One job for us is to preach Christ, and the job of God is to open blind eyes. And we ought not to confuse the two. So it's in some ways, it's not God's job to evangelize. He sent us to do it. 
And it's not our job to open blind eyes. That's his role. That's what he said he will do. Because, you know, the light of the glory of God is veiled to those who are perishing. And it was veiled to you and it was veiled to me until God opened my eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So it's God's power. But it only came to me through the preaching of the word through faithful friends like you've already talked about today. So who's at work? Well, you are. You preach Christ. And God is, he opens blind eyes. And um, Rico Tice, when he does his seminar on this, he makes half the room say, we preach Christ, and the other half say, God opens blind eyes. Uh, because he wants people to just remember those two truths. We preach Christ, God opens blind eyes. We preach Christ, God opens blind eyes. So how do we do the work of evangelism? Well, verse 2. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. I think there's a really big danger, and I feel it very much so, because in my context I'm always evangelizing, but I'm always tempted to tamper God's word and limit it and make it too positive and make it too nice and make it easy for everyone to believe. But our job, how do we do it? We tell the truth. And um, there's two things that Rico Tice says we struggle to do. We struggle to mention wrath, and we struggle to mention, mention repentance. Wrath, because it means judgment, it means there's wrong ways of living, and it means God cares, and he's going to bring wrath on people, and that's the truth. And we struggle to mention repentance, because that's control, because you're calling them to act. You're calling them that they actually need to do something. And so we actually need to preach the truth. So we preach Christ, we can't open their blind eyes. But the truth that Christ wants us to preach is that is the knowledge of the gospel, that there is sin and that they have done it and that they're going to receive wrath and they need to repent and they need to believe. Um, and if we hold that back, well then we're sort of a part of this cunning, tampering, um, disgraceful, underhanded ways. Um, because we're actually not loving them. So your and my job is to preach Christ truthfully and honestly and then to pray that God would open their eyes. Rico Tice says this, What is successful witnessing? It is, listen to this, it is not someone becoming a Christian. It is someone hearing about Christ. It's not you winning the argument, having all the answers, or giving an eloquent speech. It's you preaching Christ. Our job is not to convert people. It is to witness to Christ. Conversion isn't the mark of a successful witness. Witnessing is. Isn't that good? Conversion is not the mark of a successful witness or a successful church or a successful introducing Jesus night. Witnessing is. Think about a courtroom, he says. Witnesses are there to tell the truth. That's successful witness. If the jury doesn't believe them, that's not their fault or their failure. You have not failed if you explain the gospel and are rejected. You have failed if you do not try. Isn't that good? You have not failed if you explain the gospel and are rejected. You have failed if you don't try. And that's why with each other, 
We need to celebrate the faithfulness, not the fruit. <laughs> we need to celebrate. You invited someone. You preached the gospel. You witnessed. You stepped out. You connected. You loved. Not the result of that. We don't want to clap people and go, wow, you opened blind eyes by... Oh, yeah. We can't do that, can we? Because only God can open the blind eyes. So all we can celebrate is you are faithful. You preach the truth in love. You preach the truth to your friend. You got them the gospel. You got them the good news. So stop beating yourself up about results. Stop beating yourself up. We can't do it. We... God doesn't want us to beat ourselves up. Otherwise, you know, he would have told us to open blind eyes. He, you know, there's so much in scripture about the hardening of hearts. We, we literally can't do it. You couldn't do it for yourself. Why should we do it for others? What you should beat yourself up about, though, is not being faithful. It's not being faithful. It's being underhanded, distorting the word of truth. Now that we should beat each other up for. Um, and, and Paul does that. Genuinely, Paul does that. You read the book of Galatians, he beats Peter up publicly in scripture for disbelieving the gospel. Um, and so, you know, that's what we should beat each other up by. And that's what we should celebrate is when people are faithful. So it is God's sovereignty that directs our plans. It is God's power that saves and not our methods. And finally, um, it is God's grace. Is God's grace. See, the unconverted are not the only ones who need God's grace. We do too. And I think probably the most powerful thing you can take away and believe about evangelism is this. Okay? And it's a quote from John Chapman. It is, it's the most powerful thing for me, perhaps, because it's the thing I believe least. So, here you go. Whether you accept me or reject me doesn't make me more or less valuable. Whether you accept me or reject me doesn't make me more or less valuable. Why is this concept so important? Why do I think this is the key? Well, because I think that the biggest barrier to evangelism isn't lack of skill, competency, or opportunities. It's our own heart. See, our fears, our worries, our despair, our lack of hope, our distrust, these are the things that paralyze us cause us to seize up and shut up. These are the things that cause us to hold our tongue, to put our headphones in, to change the subject. Because we're afraid of the cost. We're afraid of the loss of relationship. We're afraid of hurting people. We're afraid of, you know, what they'll think of us. We're afraid of not having the answers. Not because we need the perfect answer, because of that'll mean that we're not that competent. We're afraid of being challenged in our faith because we might not even have an answer to their question and then it's going to make us doubt our faith. Um, And so I think the biggest problem with me and evangelism is fear. Um, I am competent at evangelizing. I'm very good at talking to people. I have every ability to stand up and preach the gospel or talk to someone one-on-one about Jesus. What I don't have competence in is trusting that whether they like me or don't like me, God likes me. See, that's my biggest problem, and it might be yours too. I want to give you some scripture, though. Romans 8, chapter 15. Oh, sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 17. Now, if we can get this truth deep down out of our head into our heart to the very core of our being and identity, this will change us. 
Alright, Romans 8, chapter... You know what I mean. I'll get there eventually. Chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into... What's it say there? Fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And interestingly, I always find it interesting that he ends with this little part of the sentence. Provided we suffer with him. In order that we might also be glorified with him. Um, Because the reality is, is that we will have to cross the pain line, Rico Tice says, if we want to be evangelists. If we want to be contagious Christian, we can't guarantee the results. Some people might have hunger, or some people might respond in hostility. Probably what I find most is actually just, who cares, like apathy, and I find that hardest because you get nowhere to go after that. But you might have hunger, you might have hostility. But if you're afraid of what people think, if I'm afraid of what people think, then I'm just going to shut up or distort the truth. And so what we actually need is this truth to come right down into the center of our being so that we can walk out of our house and put to death our fear of rejection, put to death our fear of how people respond, renew our mind in such a way that we are so comforted by the fact that we are children of God, that we have the Holy Spirit. And then put on confidence and put on our identity in Christ such that we're not actually looking for that approval from people anymore. So that we can get over ourselves so that we can love them. Because ultimately what's happening is I'm loving myself more than them. When I'm too afraid to tell them the truth and the gospel, it's because I actually love myself and my comfort and my respect and my position and my status more than I love them. And so if I can find my love deep down in Christ and that he loves me no matter what and that's good enough for me, then I'm set free and I can love others. So in the face of sacrifice, in the face of loss, in the face of rejection, if we can look up to our God and our brother Christ and see his smile and see his love and see his approval, and if we can truly want his love and approval more than our friends, peers or family or neighbours, then we won't be stuck in our evangelism. And so here's a question for personal reflection. Do I need to repent and believe? Do I need to repent of fear of man and selfishness? And do I need to believe the truth that I'm loved by the eternal God and that other people's opinions could never come close? And you may need to repent deeper and deeper and deeper. So your first level of repentance might be, I didn't share because I was afraid. But then you start going, well, I, I was afraid because I care about what they think. And then I care about what they think more than what you think of me, God. I actually like people's opinions more than I like you. And then you need to start repenting that my whole way I structure my life is around me and not around your truth and who you are. And deep down, I actually don't care what you think because the way I live my life is I base it on what everyone else thinks. That's the depth of repentance that I need to go to. And I, I honestly, I do try and get there. Is because that's what holds me back. It's not opportunity. It's not competence. It's my idol of myself. 
um, and fear. And so you might receive hunger, you might receive hostility, you might receive who cares. But if we believe that God's grace defines us, that he has called us out and he has loved us, and it's not our results or other people's opinion of us, then we'll be set free to be a contagious Christian. So, in summary, God is sovereign. He's put you there, put me here, so that people may hear the gospel. God is powerful. His spirit opened my eyes and your eyes. And he is the only one that can open others' eyes. So what we need to do is preach Christ. And the third thing we need to believe is that God is gracious. He loves me, even if no one else does. And that is enough. God's sovereignty, God's power, God's grace. God's sovereignty, God's power, God's grace. And praise God that he has opened our eyes. Hey? Let's pray. Uh, dear God, I thank you. I thank you for the gift of having eyes open. I thank you that my heart is not darkened in understanding that our hearts aren't. I thank you that the veil has been removed. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name you would help us to believe that you are sovereign and you've put us in our places for a reason. Lord, I pray and ask you would help us to believe that you are all-powerful and that you can change someone's life in a second. Someone's eternity in a second. Someone's family in a second. Their circumstance in a second. Lord, you are all-powerful. May we believe it and may we preach Christ truthfully. And finally, Lord, may we believe that you love us and may that be enough for us. Would you lead us to repent of our fear of man, to repent of our lack of love, to repent that we think other things are better than you. And would you help us to believe that nothing else is? Oh, would you help us to treasure you and may that overflow into us pursuing our friends and our family that they may know the treasure as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. Praise God, hey, it's good. Um, why don't you talk to the person next to you, see if you've got any questions, and then ask them. So just have a chance to kind of get just chat, and then we've got five minutes after that for questions. So two minutes, chat to the person next to you, what stood out to you in the talk, do you have any questions? Go. Thanks, Rico. Thanks, Rico. <laughs> Rico does. <laughs>
Thank you, Rico. <coughs> yes. Alrighty, guys. Um, just, are there any questions that people have got about any of those points? God's sovereignty, God's power, God's grace, or do you want to ask each other a question? Oh, I mean, you spoke about repentance, like, um, and sort of getting deeper, like, I don't know, can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on like, what that would look like? Um, maybe for you personally, or. Yeah, uh, it's something I. I studied um, a lot of stuff with Tim Keller, who's an American guy, and he talks about, he pulls from old classic guys like Jonathan Edwards about what actually motivates us is our heart, and we believe this is a church very much so. Uh, and so when we repent, if we just repent about our actions, but not the heart behind it, then we're sort of really missing what sin actually is. Because our sin of fear is not like, not obeying the command of God to evangelize. The real sin, the deeper sin, or what he says, the sin beneath the sin, is that either I don't love people or I love myself more than them, but even more than that is I love myself more than God. And so it's seeing that all sin comes to this point where it's actually it's actually between us and God and going, no, me, or no, comfort, or approval, or control, or power, and being honest enough, I think, to say, that's actually what guides me, is not God. And if God doesn't give me those things, I reject him. So in that moment when I'm evangelizing and I don't want to bring it up, God's not giving me my approval. So I get it a different way, by being disobedient. So the, the surface level is I don't obey and I don't evangelize. But beneath that, I've actually put my idol of affection for what people think of me above my affection for God. And so I think the repentance becomes much more beautiful and deeper and gut-wrenching when you actually, like I pray this sometimes, God, I love this more than you. I like this more than you. Because otherwise I wouldn't do it. Um, and so, um, you know, just owning that. And then it leads me to greater affection for the Saviour in that it's not just these things I did, but my whole heart is corrupt and in need, and it makes me hope for heaven. Where and that truly is the point where, you know, what's my greatest hope in life is when I see Jesus face to face, and my heart will melt, and I'll no longer have any competing desire. Um, and so, I can't guarantee that'll fix it because it hasn't fixed it for me. Um, but at least it leads me back to the gospel, and I think over time, I'm hoping it'll fix me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Naming it properly. Naming it properly, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Any follow-up on that? I was just thinking, like, like that's awesome. Like, obviously, studying scripture is going to enhance your affection for God. Mm. So when you say, like, well, I love this more than I love you, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I can't. I haven't actually thought about it so much with <clears throat> identity as other sins in my life. So, you know, like for for one one sin, like the sin of you know, say lust or something like that. What I do is I actually think of like the transfiguration of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the the grandeur of God, the goodness of God, so that I'm putting on true beauty rather than false beauty and, and false ideas. And so my recommendation would be to find true identity, those passages which truly talk about who you are, so that you delight in that. So you delight in going, actually, I only really care about what God whispers in my ear, not what other people are whispering about me. Um, so that would be my recommendation, and I need to actually go and do that now, so I'm going to write that down, is find those fighter verses, those swords I can pull out that'll actually redirect my heart to go, oh, no, it's more beautiful that... But at the end, I was faithful and God smiles. Then at the end, I have a pleasant conversation and I walk away without losing face. You know, that, that's, I think, what I need. Um, so I've done it in other areas, but not in this area. But now I will. I think that's good. Thanks. <laughs> um, any follow-up on that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. Uh, any other questions or thoughts on that? On the whole thing, God's sovereignty, God's power, God's grace. Can we thank Riley? No. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Thanks, guys. Next week, we're going to be moving on to our third one in the series, which is going to be.